0: What happens when a psychologist, an anthropologist, and a computer scientist walk together into a bar? They decide to create Social Tech Intersections, a podcast that questions our assumptions.
1: Are you a social scientist interested in learning about artificial intelligence? Are you an engineer interested in solving human-centric problems?
2: We would like to invite you to a podcast that's created by three women who come from developing countries and who are breaking barriers in more ways than one. Thank you, everyone, for your interest and support uh, for our podcast, Social Tech Intersections. We really didn't anticipate uh, this kind of encouragement and support. So we are really excited that you have come out to help us uh, and have shown so much interest. Uh, it has really motivated us to come out with new content, think about new ideas, what we can do, to show what 's the value of interdisciplinary approach and how we can bring different fields together to solve different kinds of issues or, or talk about or address different kinds of issues uh, and So we are really excited about uh, today 's pod- podcast and definitely do follow us on twitter it 's social uh, tech pod. And please provide any, uh, any feedback that you may have, any questions, comments you may have about our, today's episode, or previous episode for that matter, as well as if you have any ideas or suggestions about new topics. So before I more, move on to talk about our, today's episode, uh, I'd like to introduce my fellow collaborators. So Mavi, how are you doing today? Good, Arjuna. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Uh, what's, how it, uh, the, how's the weather there in Binghamton? Autumn is coming, summer is coming to an end, it's a little bit sad.
1: Right Gisela?
0: <laughs> yeah, well I'm glad at night I can sleep better without like all the warm weather, but yeah, definitely I, I will miss the sun. <laughs> Hi everyone, uh, thank you for joining us for this episode. Uh, I am really ready to, to start talking about it, it's very interesting.
2: So today's episode, we are trying to move away from the academic research that we talked about last time, which was Mavi's research. Most It's really fascinating, and we plan to talk more about it. We've seen people showing interest in learning more about brain waves and brain-computer interaction. So we'll definitely follow up in one of our future episodes, but today we wanted to do something different. Uh, we, since we are we are so heavily committed towards focusing on how interdisciplinary approaches can uh, examine issues like the way how it can help us think out of our out of the box, today we decided to focus on uh, on the COVID pandemic. We all are experiencing the repercussions of this pandemic everywhere. So we decided, the three of us, that let's try to look at a real world issue. And let's see if we can brainstorm. It's just one of the sessions, but our idea is to brainstorm on this topic and see how different our different fields and our different interests and perceptions can be brought together to create some kind of a solution. So it may not, it's a small short episode, so we may not have everything addressed, but we will try to uh, address some key ideas that are of interest to us whether as a psychologist, as a computer scientist, or as an anthropologist. So we would love to uh, get uh, some feedback later on from you all about what, how we did and uh, what, what we can do. And of course, brainstorming is something where usually you would like to have some visual depictions. You probably would use post-it notes to post different ideas and place them all together or things like that, or you make may... may write down notes and everything here. We don't, we cannot do any of that because it's a podcast. So we are going to mostly talk about the different aspects of what we are trying to address. The topic we have chosen today is uh, how we can, uh, how do we do contact tracing in, uh, in low, uh, with poor, poor connectivity, uh, area with the poor connectivity. So this is our uh, topic for today, how we can do contact tracing in areas with poor, internet connectivity and uh, we definitely face this these kind of challenges in our countries Peru and India but we know we are aware it's also the case in some parts in uh, in the US but I'm sh- and I'm sure it's going to be it's also a problem in many other countries as well so how do we make something uh, contact tracing as an inclusive how to exercise where we, ad- we also look at people who may not have smartphones may not have uh, may not have be digitally connected with the rest of the country. How do we address that? Because I'm sure government, we, 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 we know that governments are looking into that issue as well. So so yeah, that's our topic today. I hope, uh, hope you enjoy this. So thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you for the introduction, Arshna. I guess that will um, give our audience like a very general idea of what we're talking about today. And I want to continue by a little bit what I think first when talking about contact tracing. As a computer scientist, I try to focus on how I can do the process more efficient or how the computational resources can help um, to the main task that would be contact tracing, right? So for that, I read a little bit and found that there's a manual way to do it uh, or how the task has been done for decades and the digital way to do it to finally do the isolation right and uh, well that also willingness to do isolation would depend on the culture education how strong and efficient this contact tracing process
1: can be so what you're saying is that there are two ways to do contact tracing manual and automatic and i guess you'll explain more about how do they are carried out yeah so seems like the
0: manual well i'm not like the the super specialist but i read that the manual means uh, really having people that test have an answer hopefully within minutes or hours and a way to contact the person that was tested to be able to isolate them i'm not sure if like um sending them to somewhere or asking them to isolate themselves, but um, that would be the manual way. The digital uh, way or automatic would be to trace somehow, like by phones or some other devices, the people that were tested positive and know who they were uh, exposed to or who they were around of. In the manual way, however, you have to ask that person to try to remember who they were around of in today or several days before.
2: I see. Gisela, I think that's a great idea that if we can create something that manually can help people, you know, uh, in where, the, where there is no digital uh, network, people can manually, there can be a manual way of tracing people who have uh, who are COVID pa- positive. But I, as an anthropologist, I'm, I'm a little curious because there's so much, fear and and, uh, stigma around coronavirus, Uh, and so people are not very forthcoming. Uh, They don't want to talk about whether they are COVID positive or somebody in their family is COVID positive. Uh, I've definitely seen a lot of that happening in India, and uh, people are not, not willing to share that kind of information. So how do we address that kind of thing? We may have to think about this element and how to make them... How may, how to create comfortable uh, space for people to share some something that which they think is so personal and uh, for them and not get stigmatized as a result of it.
0: Right No, definitely that's an issue. I'm to be honest, I'm not completely sure. I was hoping that that part would be covered somehow by the by the social scientists or maybe psychologists because yeah, technology has a limit, right and what I could say is that maybe the digital way could be better because in that way you don't have that issue. You can always look at the data and, and see who this person was around. Of, But I guess definitely that's not the holy grail.
1: I was um, wondering, I think here in the US they do contact tracing manual, but they still keep it anonymous. So you just get a call that says you was been around somebody who has detect, uh, tested positive
2: interesting so but then Mavi, how do they know uh, somebody must be collecting some kind of personal demographic data uh, from these people because how do you know like, let's say how will somebody know you know uh, that one of us is
1: so poor- let, let's say you go and get and, or let's say i go and go test, get tested and i test positive then they will ask me your information will be kept totally confidential who have you been around the last few days please give us a list with numbers and we will call them but we will keep your identity totally anonymous
2: i still see right uh but w- how will the neighbors how the people around them would know this person has been quarantined uh like in india what happens is when uh especially in certain you know they depending on number of cases of course you know if you are uh, COVID positive of course they test the the family members first to find out if there are any other COVID positive or uh, members in the family. And then the family may be quarantined to stay in isolation if nothing is serious. But they also t- tell them in the community that it's not safe, right? And that some X, Y, and Z house has been quarantined. Problem the challenge how people react, how they respond to that kind of information. Gisela, you were going to say something?
0: yeah addressing a little bit not exactly what you just said, but about the privacy that still might be an issue i guess the in this case the government or the the health office would have would be in charge of taking care of the privacy of the person that was tested positive but still had the responsibility to call other people um now addressing the last part that you said that was
2: yeah, my, my thing was, how do we have to come up with the way that information is shared, not necessarily the, all the details, some kind of information so that people around in the community, in the neighborhood, uh, are aware that they have certain uh, members who uh, certain households or uh, household has been quarantined for this reason. Because there are other steps that measures may be taken. And this may, be, may be differ from you know India to another country. In Peru, it may be different. In the US, it's different. How this issue is being done in India, the population is—you know—how high, how high the population is. That may be the reason why government has taken these kind of steps. My concern is more about what we do next. Once, without sharing, disclosing all the details, how do we how do we protect these people? How do we protect anybody who is already going through the challenge of being COVID positive, having to deal with all the repercussions of? the coronavirus how do we how they are not stigmatized by the community by the neighbors by anybody oh so you that's mean, my issue
0: sorry oh you mean like if uh, even though it's a non- anonymous i uh, as someone that was called to be informed that i was in contact with, with someone someone that tested positive how uh, i react to being able to calculate who was the person that might have contagion me and how would I stigmatize him or her?
2: I may be stigmatized. I may be, st- I, if I'm COVID positive, right? I may be, and this is, this is actually everywhere. The fear and this concern is, I think it's a global thing about people in, uh, who, might, who may fear for themselves, okay? If they are not, they don't have any symptoms whatsoever and they don't want to come in, in close proximity of a COVID positive person, for obvious reasons. But then there are other kinds of stigmas also that you know uh, involved, and then people look down upon people who are, are COVID positive that they didn't take care of themselves. So as an anthropologist, there's a lot of like social, uh, cultural, you know, like there are a lot of other subtle meanings that are now we have started using to ostracize people, so to speak, and. We have to address that kind of an issue also uh, somehow when we are doing this contact tracing. And we are asking manually people to offer. And that's why people don't come up with their, you know, they don't want to uh, uh, say that I am coronavirus. You see what I'm saying?
0: Interesting, Arjuna. I guess, uh, well, I'm not like an expert in communicating, but I would say that the governments should work in efficient communication to let people know why they shouldn't feel so bad on getting or testing positive and why they shouldn't stigmatize other people. I guess that's more like a, an educational um, issue that the government should
1: focus on too. So so many um, obstacles, I guess, and that's to call them obstacles, but these issues that have nothing to do with technology um, or related to the human nature. I want to bring it back to the scientific field, I guess, to say it one way, where we are thinking of humans in a vacuum as um, simulated on a computer very simply. And what what I've heard, some studies have found is that if we see the people, um, the context of the people as a network, who you are connected with, if you, we can do second degree of separation contact tracing, we have a chance to beat the disease. What does second degree of separation mean? It means, for example, Giselle, if I know that A friend of yours that I have no contact with, I don't know that person at all, has coronavirus, and if you tell me, I just found out that this person has coronavirus, or the government maybe informs me, somebody in your network um, has coronavirus and it's not somebody adjacent to me, but it is the friend of a friend, then I have, we have higher chance, if I take the steps, like if I go testing or if I quarantine myself, either way, we have the chance to catch up to the, to the disease faster than if we just do everybody who is just adjacent to the, to the person who, who has the disease. If we were talking about stigma and everything like this, um, having a second degree of, of separation makes uh, these kind, of, kind of things even harder. That's interesting, well, very interesting approach. Yes, but again, it's like in a vacuum, so I don't know how applicable, how can we do it in practice, especially uh, talking about the issues we have talked. So, to recap, uh, Giselle started talking about what is contact tracing, that there are two ways of doing it manually, you just ask the person who they have been in contact with, digitally using the information on their phones, then either way, somebody who has been in contact with somebody who has the disease gets notified. And then we have the issues of the stigma, of people isolating the person who has coronavirus. We're we're wondering whether just keeping the person anonymous is enough to protect them from the stigma. But it might not be enough. You you are you see your neighbor maybe coming out every day and suddenly you don't see them, so maybe the anonymity is not enough. And so then we, we mentioned, what about, can we maybe change the mindset of the people using education or can the government, uh, yes, they go basically through education, do something so that people know if they can disclose that they have coronavirus, they are protecting their, their neighbors and, and also teach the neighbors not to discriminate the person with coronavirus.
2: So uh, guys, what if we are creating an app? Let's think we are like, hypothetically, we are creating an app. We know a lot of countries are creating contact, have created rather, uh, contact tracing apps. Uh, And uh, I'm guessing Peru has one of them too, India certainly has a a contact tracing app. It's called Aroge Setu. Um, So let's say hypothetically, we are creating an app which which needs to address these concerns, right? We we need to have have uh, you and all of three of us are trying to create an app, and uh, we have to address these concerns when we are building it, right? So that our solution addresses not it not only it uh, reaches out to people in areas with poor connectivity, it addresses somehow with the issues of social stigma that we were talking about, right? So. Let's start one by one, like thinking, let's unpack this whole thing and let's talk about how we can do that. But since our main problem, main concern is how do we reach to people who are in poorly connected areas? So maybe, Gisela, maybe you can want to begin first with uh, uh, suggesting some ideas about it?
0: Yeah, sure. I guess the first technology that we would like to use is GPS because that will give us the location. But if we are talking about poor connectivity areas, we might not have uh, internet access technologies, but I bet Bluetooth could be used. Uh, we just have to be very careful with the technical staff that start working on that. Because it seems like in Australia, the, there was this app built that Bluetooth stopped working when the phone was blocked. So if people were walking around or they were in contact with someone close to them, but the phone was blocked, the contact wasn't registered somehow in, in the app. So that's an issue and, and that's like a, I would say just, just a technical issue. I mean, who who would else have imagined that that wasn't going to work? Uh, maybe just when testing the, the app a little bit more. Then we have another option that is to capture the the location of the phones by the antennas, like the antennas of the cell phones. The antennas. And, the antennas, sorry. And they were, you know, like phones always are transmitting a kind of signal to this base antenna. And you more or less can know the position okay. by overlapping the information of different antennas. So I would say that I would say that could be a a way to Eating people. Um, on the other hand, that has uh, the issue of the privacy, right? Uh, the 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 people in charge of taking all this information has to guarantee the privacy. And we also, as a society, I guess, should know what what things have been done with our information. Yeah. So I don't know
2: what what you think, maybe
1: So maybe just focusing first on the technical part of it. Imagine we're in an ideal world without a stigma and privacy issues. What information would we be collecting from the people? Just any person near anybody else, or should we try to um collect information of people who have been together for 30 minutes or so? Or yeah. I don't know if you have heard about the the viral load. You need to a certain viral load to get to catch the virus. It cannot just be a second, it has to be a, a constant exposure over a period of time, two, three hours, even half an hour starts becoming a risk.
0: Right, that's true. I mean, not sure what are the, the parameters of this model, uh, the values of those parameters. I guess it will have to be something by try and error, or maybe ep- epidemiologists might give an idea, um, but then I would say let's try to just count as positive as a positive encounter when uh, two people are near each other more than five minutes mm-hmm. or in less than um, six meters i don't know like those parameters should be um, established so do you think that's a feasible idea Arsna, or it's too parametric
2: I think you have to start somewhere, right? You have to create some kind of parameters, especially if you're building, you have, it's not just about creating it in vacuum. You have to uh, try somewhere and see whether it works. If it doesn't work, if something is is not working, you have to keep tweaking it. So I, I would definitely suggest that, you know, this is a good way to go about it. Although the uh, proximity, how, how do you measure that uh, in, a, in especially how do you do that in a manual way like manually? How do you do that? Like I'm I'm a little confused because see, and we uh, people we tend to have we we tend to either uh, exaggerate or minimize depending on the situations, right? So if you think about in an in real world context, how long I was in contact or how was, how long I was near somebody. I, I'm, I don't know, really. You know I cannot say how long I was around that person, you know, uh, unless I'm really timing myself or anything like that. So parameters sound great, and we should have, but uh, you're right. It's a uh, lot of it that uh, don't really work in a real-world uh, setting. More than that, I'm curious, like, how will it work in a manual context? What do you suggest? How will you trace? Uh, how long a person has been around somebody who was COVID positive that may be, sus- uh, may be susceptible to the virus.
0: Yeah, um, manually that's a, a good challenge. I'm I'm not completely sure.
1: I I want to clarify. Are we trying to if we're using an app? This is to make it digitally, not manually, right? Because I, manually. We would ask people who you have been with, but digitally, the device would tell us who the person has been around with.
2: Okay, I'm thinking. When we uh, hypothetically, what will happen is, in a low network area, here's my idea. Like, if it's a low, poor connect, you know, with low uh, uh, connectivity, you may want to collect information manually from people, right? Because uh, they don't have the. It's very difficult to keep uh, to track them. Their move, movement, so to speak, which is what I think contact tracing does a lot. So you may have to ask for information, but then, to create any kind of solutions or to go beyond with that, you uh, with that information, you may have to put it on a digital network of sorts, so that you can go be further with it, right? So you can go with whether whether this is a this need, it's a hot spot that it needs to be addressed as a hotspot or uh, it's not a hotspot, but there are so many number of cases so it means the hospital needs X, Y, and Z number of beds or quarantine zones or something like that. So, or testing, you know, how to do testing, what kind of resources are needed. So that's, that's the reason uh, what I was thinking, but maybe Gisela, you can uh, suggest something else about this. Uh, yeah, so you just gave me this idea of
0: and, and made me notice that, of course, like GPS apps might work in, in, in zones that are uh, more connected and has, have more uh, internet access, but we need to keep the manual uh, contact tracing for poor, uh, for poor connectivity zones. So a mix of these methods might be the proper way to go for, uh, because in Peru, I was listening to a lot of discussions of uh, hey we we should go by this way or no we should have gone through this other way but actually the combination should be something that work and that was a good question how the how you manage to match the the criteria that you have in the digital world with the manual criteria of questions to get who was next to who and and Uh, be able to
1: contact to to trace their contact okay so far we've talked about developing an app for contact tracing we talk about how to develop this app for low connectivity areas if you don't have internet connection can you use the bluetooth gisela talked about give an example of what about phones that turn the bluetooth off when they are locked and that Even though the app works very well, in theory, in practice, it has no practical application because the Bluetooth is off most of the time. So then Arjuna said, there are places where people don't even have smartphones, So maybe we should be considering manual contact tracing and see whether we can connect these manual and digital systems into a unified system to have the whole picture of what areas are hotspots, what areas are recovering and how, how to move around this the situations. So this ex- second section has focused a lot on the technical part. On the third section, we want to bring back the stigma, the privacy issues, ethical issues about concerning the data. So, Archana, what what do you think? Is there any way to address these issues?
2: Yeah, of course. Uh, there is a lot of fear. And stigma comes because of misinformation and lack of information. And of course, uh, COVID-19 uh, has been an evolving, uh, you know, the knowledge about it, the scientific uh, scientists and uh, health experts, they have still coming out with uh, more and more data about how to address this, uh, the, this pandemic, how to, what, what measures can be taken and such. The app, for instance, should have something, some capability to share that information with, with people. So my, my suggestion would be to empower people somehow, right? So either through this app, you empower people by sharing information about updates about COVID-19. You need to come out with simple layperson's terms, you know, that is easily understandable. That should be some suggestions, some tips on what needs to be done. But then comes, of course, those areas where, again, with low connectivity, people with no smartphones and such. And, uh, The way to empower people is to create a community. uh, To how do you do that? Have NGOs, uh, non-government organizations, and other social uh, service organizations that are working in the community, churches, uh, or anybody uh, who are who are involved in social service, ask them to work with the community to share information. And where do they get the information? They can get through the app. So somebody maybe having maybe who's Helping to manually collect the information from you know uh, in, uh, from these areas where there might be a clinic small clinic there, maybe they can share the state manually the information posters let 's go old school with people let 's share posters let 's through word of mouth we, and in their language in in languages that is understood thats that is i think vital to empower people there so that people. Come to help each other out, rather than feel have, have that fear from each other of staying away, and that you need to stay away from somebody because that person is COVID positive. Gisela, what do you think? What do you think about this idea?
0: Yeah. Oh my God, this is a very uh, interesting, article because you just you just made me think again <laughs> about how an a strategy of communication can can be done, and it's very asserting what you said, like why not to have centric community leaders or or someone like like churches or or clinics or maybe um, like popular dining halls kind of to better learn what's the status of their community and to better know how to reach to the people around, to the community around. Because they, they will know better how to reach and communicate to let's say people that don't speak very well in our case in Peru, Spanish, uh, because we have so many other languages around uh, how to speak with um, people in sign language. Maybe in this community, we happen to know that there are several uh, people that, speak sign- that, that use sign language. So I guess not better than, than the leaders of communities to know how to reach to the people around. Uh, that's a very interesting thing that you mentioned.
1: What, what do you think, Mavi? A question I have is who, like, especially in a city like Lima, for example, or New York City, where people live surrounded by strangers, who is the leader of the community? And is there even a community or is everybody strangers?
2: You know, uh, the idea of community, well, first of all, in big cities, uh, we go with the assumption, although probably that's not the case in New Delhi. Uh, There might be areas where internet doesn't work very well. And it, it doesn't in big cities in India. Uh, there might be pockets where it, uh, that's a challenge. And of course, people will, there are a lot of people who have phones, they don't have smartphones, so all those things. But if, if you think about it, uh, we, we, we may not be friendly with us, with our neighbors, but we may know, we may know somebody. So I, we may be part of, let's say, a book reading club. We may be a part of a, a church. Uh, a temple, a mosque, or something like that, you know. There, there we, that. Are, those are communities. In India, a lot of these big cities have these residential areas that have uh, resident welfare associations, RWAs. And these are run by, they make sure that the, uh, the area, the neighborhood is run very well. So you have to identify these people. NGOs are there for sure. NGOs are everywhere. And so we need to look into those kind of places where and find those people, tap into existing resources. And they can, be our, they can be a part of uh, that communication sharing effort. I didn't understand how NGOs relate to communities. So NGOs usually uh, are involved in some kind of awareness campaigns, whether they might be working on education on women's welfare, youth employment and skilling, so many social issues, healthcare, uh, those kind of different cha- issues that have socioeconomic, you know, uh, and mostly they are working with low-income uh, uh, people uh, who live in, let's say, urban slums or who are living uh, in, and I'm simplifying here. I'm sure you understand that. But they are, maybe they are working with communities. And they are addressing certain, let's employ their, them Let's get them on board on this app, let's say, and so that they can get the information from these people and then share it with the, those who are, as we said, who don't have access to information. Lucilla, what do you think about that idea?
0: Yeah, and to answer a little bit more, uh, Mavi's question, previous question, like how to identify communities in big cities. Uh, that is difficult because most of people live their own lives and most of them don't care about neighbor next door. I I don't know, that's my impression. Maybe I'm grown. Um, But for that, we will have the digital contact tracing. Like, because maybe people are even more connected to their phones than their local communities. I don't know if I'm exaggerating. But uh, for that, we will have the the contact tracing. And that will raise, again, our issue in this um, section about privacy. Like, if people is willing to to give their data, their information, we should guarantee that the information is not misused. And that will, will have to be with, with um, maybe we will have to consult more lawyers or people in, that, that
2: know more about this. Gisela, I have a question actually here. Like, and since like, uh, how, like, again, there's a lot of, uh, uh, when people were coming on board on this app that I was talking about, uh, which is a contract tracing app in India, the, the prime minister advocated for it and uh, it's, uh, it started out it, uh, it started by the government uh, uh, the ministry of health in india but there was a lot of concern that their data may be hacked or people will be tracking them wherever they go and uh, and this is from people who are maybe ed- who are educated i'm not talking about who are who have smartphones who may be using it for you know internet banking who may be using it for all these uh, you know fake social media name it, all those things. And their fear was, what if my information is tracked and used in some way or the other? And they were not willing to share about them. And you, we hear all these, always we hear on news about hacking and you know, data being. So how do we address those kind of issues? How do we make sure that it's, it's, it's somehow taken care of? Right, that's true. There
0: is a law in Peru that prohibits the use for other things than the, the reason explicitly that was said the information was going to be um, saved for. So that's, a, that's one thing. Of course, that doesn't guarantee that someone else uses it wrongly. But uh, I don't know, maybe this is about like the trust people have in a government that could be uh, one level for these couple of years, but not in the same level for the next government right so we never know but I guess this law and the transparency of of the government should be something that we have to claim like where is this data now who is who is using it who who has access to to this data so I guess that complements what uh, whatever can be done in the in the legal part.
2: So what um, you're saying is that Trust uh, can be built, trust in government can be built through transparency. Is that right?
0: Yes, I I definitely go for that. I guess transparency, uh, for example, if I ever uh, have to to work in the government, I would uh, try everyone to, to, to see my work, to see and show, hey, I'm doing all this, I'm taking all these decisions because I really want to show you that I'm not hidden, hiding something. I guess that should be the the chip that uh, public servants should <laughs> make into their minds. I don't know.
1: Okay, so with that, we conclude the final section of this podcast. In this section, we talked more about how do you make people use this app? If we were to create this app, how do you make people feel comfortable using this app? So maybe you guys, the people listening to us, the intersectionites can tell us what you guys think, whether um, you could, would you use an app that is recording your location the whole time? Would you be more prone to use it if it was, um, the data was stored by the government, government, or would you feel more comfortable if the data was stored by a private corporation or maybe an educational university or institution? And then what would you feel about inputting data manually in the app versus having the data, digitally recording the data? So these, are, these have been the, a few things we have discussed in this segment. And the most important one I would say is the community. If the communities can be empowered somehow, if we can identify a leader of a community and that leader can reassure, because the leader somehow knows that the data is safe, if, then if this leader can reassure the community about using the app about, or inputting the data manually, then we might have a better chance of having a wider adoption of this app.
0: Okay, so we are um, ending our episode. I'm very glad we talk about this. It, it was very um, insightful. Thank you, Arsenal. Thank you, Mavi, for sharing your perspectives. They complement mine. And I guess that's the nice thing of this podcast. We compliment each other. We try to see above our knowledge. We learn a lot, a lot. Hopefully, you guys, our listeners, um, learn a lot too and had some other ideas in your mind when maybe suggesting things in your community or criticizing some others. Right. So, yeah, thank you for coming and joining us to this point. I hope you uh, like us, like our our episode uh, please find us on twitter as social tech Pot and see you next time bye